Always difficult to follow that magnificent choir. Thank you, choir, again for your beautiful music. And again, the next day after John stood and two of his disciples and looked upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold the Lamb of God. And the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. Then Jesus turned and saw them following, and saith unto them, What seek ye? We find a world today looking for answers to the question, What seek ye? in so many different ways. Too many are sowing seeds of a fruit that will not nourish an eternal soul. Let me illustrate with an experience that the central area presence he had while traveling on by train to a meeting. We were talking, taking advantage of the time together by discussing our assignment. A man seated across the aisle became curious about our conversation. He finally asked, Are you Protestant or Catholic? We replied, Neither. We are members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He acknowledged that he had heard about the Church, but then went on to say, You will never get very far in this country. The government only recognizes the Catholic and Protestant churches. They are the only ones who receive government financial support. A church cannot exist without government financial support. We tried to explain that our church manages very well without government help. We use the Lord's system called tithing. He insisted our Church would not get very far in this country and suggested that perhaps we should place our efforts in some other part of the world. Of course, we testified the Lord's system does work and told him about all the chapels and temples we're constructing throughout the world without having to resort to borrowed funds to build them. He seemed very surprised but still unconvinced. Seeing that we could not persuade him that the Church could exist without government support, we tried to change the subject. I asked, What will happen in your country with the changes that are occurring? The declining population and the influx in numbers of immigrants eventually make, will make you a minority in your own land. With great national pride, he replied, This will never happen. I countered. How can you support such a position with immigration exceeding your country's birth rate? He kept insisting it would never happen in his country, why they would close the borders of our land before they would allow it to occur. I pressed on. How can you prevent it with the current trends? His next statement shocked me. I'm 82 years old. I'll be long gone before we have to face that problem. A majority pro the, majority, the major problem we face in preaching the gospel in this area of the world is the general apathy towards religion, towards things spiritual. Too many are very comfortable with their present lifestyle and feel no need to do anything other than eat, drink, and be merry. They are not interested in anything but themselves here and now. Developing nations of the world are becoming so secular in their beliefs and actions that they reason that a human being has total autonomy. An individual does not have to give an account to anyone or anything except himself 
and to a limited extent to the society in which he lives. Societies in which this secular lifestyle takes root have a deep spiritual and moral price to pay. The pursuit of so-called individual freedoms without regard to the laws of the Lord that He has established to govern His children on earth will result in the curse of extreme worldliness and selfishness, the decline of public and private morality, and the defiance of authority. Such secular societies are described in the Doctrine and Covenants, Section 1. They seek not the Lord to establish His righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world. For this reason, the Lord's Church was instructed to follow the prophet and seek something different from what the world is seeking. Continuing on in a few verses in section 1, Wherefore I, the Lord, knowing the calamities which should come upon the inhabitants of the earth, called upon my servant Joseph Smith, Jr., and spake unto him from heaven, and gave unto him commandments, and also gave commandments to others, that they should proclaim these things unto the world, and all this that it might be fulfilled, which was written by the prophets. It was through the prophet Joseph Smith that the Church of Jesus Christ was restored to the earth, line upon line, precept upon precept. With divine assistance, he translated and published the Book of Mormon. The Aaronic and Melchizedek priesthoods were conferred upon him and Oliver Cowdery, and the sacred ordinances were reinstituted for the saving of mankind. We boldly declare that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints provides answers to the question, What seek ye? Our Church is the means by which men and women find our Savior and His gospel. You are gathered here today in this vast congregation and to even greater numbers of Saints viewing this conference throughout the world are richly blessed for you have sought and found the restored Church. The Church came into being as the result of a restoration, not a reformation. In my recent experiences in Central Europe, certainly have deepened my respect for the role of those early Christian leaders who instituted the Reformation. It began with their efforts to correct some of the errors in doctrine which had come into being during the long period of apostasy from the Church that had been established by our Savior during His earthly ministry. Joseph Smith was a prophet of God, the Lord's mouthpiece, and the restorer of all things important to building the kingdom of God and preparing for the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we seek our Savior, it is important that we seek Him through His Church. It is through His restored Church that we receive all the saving ordinances necessary to return to Him. I want all the members of the Church to know 
that I have learned from my current assignment that sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ involves challenges I had never before imagined. Yet every day I see new signs of hope due mainly and mostly to the Lord's blessings, but also to the efforts of leaders, members, and missionaries in that area of the world. Honest seekers of truth are finding answers to their questions. They are finding the Lord through His restored Church. Let me give you three, among many examples I could give, of a father, a young single adult, and a single sister who have found a new faith and new hope in their lives. A family of four was initially contacted by sister missionaries, and from the very beginning the mother and her children often read in the Book of Mormon, prayed daily, and wanted to attend church. The father, however, resisted. Unlike his wife, he was not of the Christian faith and he did not feel that he was prepared to reevaluate his beliefs. The sister missionaries were inspired to focus their teachings on our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In their words, we taught about Joseph Smith, of his faith in Christ, what we learn about Christ from the first vision, and the prophet's testimony of our Savior. Everything we read together or challenged them to read as a family was out of the Book of Mormon and teaching them about our Redeemer. That is when we started to see progress. They displayed a framed picture of Christ proudly in their family room. It was one that we had given them as a gift. The father's change of heart occurred when his wife announced that she wanted to be baptized and his sons decided to pray to know whether they should also be baptized. From that moment on, he read regularly in the Book of Mormon and prayed about baptism. His sincere desire to know whether the Church was true changed him, and he became a spiritual leader in his home. Just before he and his family were baptized, the father asked for a tithing slip and an envelope. He did not want to delay keeping the commandments of the Lord for even one second. In another case, a young inactive brother was reactivated as a result of the establishment of an outreach initiative to bring activity in young, to young single adults ages 18 to 30. On the first night of activity in one of our Church buildings, this brother was the only non-missionary attending. But within a few weeks, he had brought about 30 people to family home evening and other activities. This brother was a website designer. He and his partner had started their own web design business. He currently lives with two non-members, both of whom are employees of his in his website design company. He is very bold about sharing his testimony. One of his co-workers previously had studied Christian theology. This brother referred him to the missionaries working in this young single adult program. Now his co-worker is a regular attendee of the activities, and this reactivating brother assists the missionaries as they teach him. By adding his testimony 
to the fruitfulness of the gospel that is theirs. It is still instilled the final case. A young woman from Hamburg, Germany, was struggling to find spiritual meaning in her life. She began to pray and ask God what she should do. One morning, after three days of some fasting and much prayer, she walked from her home to the bus stop. As she arrived, she realized she had left some keys at home she needed that day. She returned home to pick up the keys and walking again to the bus stop. She was quite distraught as she realized she had missed the bus she normally was taking. Meanwhile, two missionaries were traveling on a bus nearby in the city of Hamburg. As they were traveling, they suddenly had the impression that they should speak to the first person they met after they exited, exited the bus. The two elders got out of the bus and instantly saw the young woman. They spoke to her briefly about the Church and set up an appointment to teach her. She had an immediate feeling that somehow the elders were sent to her as an answer to her prayers. The good members of the Church joined with the missionaries in teaching her and helping her feel a special part of their ward. She accepted the message of the restored gospel of Jesus Christ and was baptized. Now she is working in the Ward Young Women's Program. The Lord, during His earthly ministry, recognized the need to have a structure in place to build faith in the hearts of the members of His Church and to keep them growing in His gospel. This family, this brother, and this sister all found the Savior through finding and being strengthened by His Church. After the death of the Apostles, without central leadership to guide them and direct it, the Church drifted into apostasy. This particular lesson of history is clear. It is necessary to have a centralized Church government under the direction of the Savior that provides the necessary doctrines and ordinances for salvation and exaltation. The Bible gives us abundant evidence that the Lord, during His earthly ministry, established His Church with the proper authority and organization. For example, Paul declared, and he gave some apostles and some prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of the faith, to a knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, and to the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ, that we, more, that we henceforth be no more children, tossed to and fro by, and carried by every wind of doctrine, by the slight of men, and the cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive, but speaking the truth in love may grow up unto Him in all things, which is the head, even Christ. We state in our sixth article of faith, we believe in the same organization that existed in the primitive Church, namely apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, evangelists, and so forth. So we declare to the world that the priesthood has been restored. God's government is on the earth. His pattern is established. 
that will lead us back to His presence. We believe we have the best answer to the question, What seek ye? As the Savior taught, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Just as a building is constructed one brick at a time, the Savior's true Church is built one conversion, one testimony, one baptism at a time. May we all seek, find, and build His Church wherever we may be, is my humble prayer in the name of Him whom we seek, even Jesus Christ. Amen. My dear brothers and sisters, as we prepare to listen to President Hinckley's closing remarks at the end of this marvelous General Conference, I fervently hope that each of us will feel how blessed we are to have received from prophets and apostles of the Lord the collective wisdom and exhortation that, if heeded and followed, will help us steer our course ever closer to our Savior. We ought to be particularly grateful to live in a time when our Church leaders, though many are advanced in years, continue to receive the revelation and inspiration that moves the Kingdom forward from day to day. As a young man, I was given a very strong written admonition to prove myself a faithful and obedient son so that as I grew older and whenever I needed counsel and advice, I should go to my parents, though they may be bowed in years, to receive from them wisdom, comfort, and guidance. My father passed away over twenty years ago, having been a great and exemplary source of wisdom for me all the days of my life and we just laid to rest my 100-year-old mother beside her eternal companion last Monday. In her 100th year, she affirmed her lifelong testimony in these words, The gospel is a way of life. It is part of the plan to help us avoid bitterness. More than ever, I believe that this life is good, but that the next life is better. My mother often told me that she prayed for me and for our family every day. As she came closer and closer to the veil, her prayers were especially, especially fervent and meaningful to me. Both my parents, as well as my dear parents-in-law, endured or are enduring to the end in righteous paths, leaving a legacy of faithful dedication for all their posterity to follow. President Ezra Taft Benson in the November 1989 ensign is quoted as follows, The Lord knows and loves the elderly among His people. It has always been so, and upon them He has bestowed many of His greatest responsibilities. In various dispensations He has guided His people through prophets who were in their advancing years. He has needed the wisdom and experience of age the inspired direction from those with long years of proven faithfulness to His gospel. These thoughts have caused me to reflect on the great sermons, blessings, testimonies, and admonitions that prophets and apostles throughout the ages have left, especially as they felt themselves waxing old or preparing to go down to the dust. 
Some of these parting passages are among our most noteworthy and quoted scriptures. For instance, in Moses 6.57, Enoch states unequivocally, Wherefore, teach it unto your children that all men everywhere must repent, or they can in no wise inherit the kingdom of God, for no unclean thing can dwell in his presence. These basic principles of the gospel were being taught from the time of Adam and Eve, passed down from generation to generation, as the scriptures attest, time and time again. Joseph, who was sold into Egypt, left these words of counsel with the people of Israel, I die, and God will surely visit you and bring you out of this land unto the land which he swore to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. Generations later, as fulfillment of Joseph's prophecy was about to be realized, Moses left his blessings with all the tribes of Israel and passed the mantle of leadership to Joshua, who led the people back into the Promised Land. As he was approaching his final days, Joshua left the immortal words, Choose you this day whom ye will serve, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Later prophets, such as Jeremiah, Isaiah, Malachi, left equally indelible testimonies throughout their ministries, prophesying of the coming Messiah and His infinite Atonement. We find a similar pattern throughout the Book of Mormon in the emphasis given to the final addresses of Nephi, Jacob, and King Benjamin, whose mighty discourse changed the hearts of an entire nation, not to mention the masterful words of Abinadi, who boldly spoke, knowing full well that his days were numbered. Teach them that redemption cometh through Christ the Lord, who is the very eternal Father. The list continues with Alma and his son Alma, also Helaman, the son of Helaman, who gave such priceless advice to his sons. And now, my sons, remember, remember that it is upon the rock of our Redeemer, who is Christ, the Son of God, that ye must build your foundation, which is a sure foundation, a foundation upon whereon if men build, they cannot fail. These and other Book of Mormon prophets, including Mormon himself, wrote for our day, knowing that we would need their knowledge and wisdom to aid us in these perilous times. The Book of Mormon itself ends with the incomparable charge of Moroni, the son of Mormon, who tells us, Yea, come unto Christ and be perfected in Him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness, and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then is His grace sufficient for you. We have similar last testimonies in the New Testament, such as Paul's grand statement, I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith attesting to his having endured to the end, we gain great insight into the growth of the mighty senior apostle Peter in his statement, and be clothed with humility, for God resisteth the proud and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. And certainly the greatest personage of all time to learn from is the risen Lord Himself. As He charged His apostles and followers to go ye therefore and teach all nations, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. What a wealth of conviction and knowledge these collective scriptures give us. Can we find common inspirational threads running through each of them? I believe they are easily recognizable. That Christ, the Son of God, lives and is our Redeemer and Savior. That we should follow Him and show our love for Him by remembering Him and humbly keeping His commandments. That through His Atonement we are able to repent and be cleansed. That we are His covenant people and should always keep the covenants that we have entered into. That we need to spread His gospel throughout the world. That we should have faith, repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost and endure to the end. In our dispensation, modern-day prophets of the Restoration reiterate time and again these same principles. In the teaching of John Taylor, we learn that, as the Son of Man, He endured all that it was possible for flesh and blood to endure. As the Son of God, He triumphed over all and forever ascended to the right hand of God. One of my favorites from President Spencer W. Kimball, to the testimonies of these mighty men and apostles of old, our brethren in the ministry of the same Master, I add my own testimony. I know that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that He was crucified for the sins of the world. He is my friend, my Savior, my Lord, my God. With all my heart, I pray that the saints may gain an eternal inheritance with Him in celestial glory. Our prophet today, President Gordon B. Hinckley, continues to lead us with his powerful convictions. As he declared in a recent state conference address, I have a testimony, real, burning, and vital, of the truth of this work. I know that God, our Eternal Father, lives and that Jesus is the Christ, my Savior and my Redeemer. It is He who stands at the head of this Church. All I desire is that I go forward with this work as He would have it go forward. Summarizing the testimonies of all the ancient and modern-day apostles and prophets, we have the immortal words of the Prophet Joseph Smith, who declared, And now, after the many testimonies which have been given of Him, this is the testimony, last of all, which we give of Him that He lives, for we saw Him, even on the right hand of God, and we heard the voice bearing record that He is the only begotten of the Father. I wish to add my own humble affirmation of the truthfulness of the aforementioned testimonies. I know that our Heavenly Father lives, that He is literally the Father of our spirits, and that Jesus Christ is our Savior our Redeemer, our Lord, and as we obey His commandments, our friend. As we study the scriptures, may we have added insights into and greater appreciation for the power of testimony, as it is borne by those of great wisdom and advanced age. It is my prayer, this is my prayer, and I say so in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. How can we find peace in this world? 
How can we endure to the end? How can we overcome the difficulties and trials we are facing? The Savior Jesus Christ said, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. As part of our mortal probation, we pass through affliction, pain, and disappointment. Only in Jesus Christ can we find peace. He can help us to be of good cheer and to overcome all the challenges of this life. What does it mean to be of good cheer? It means to have hope, not getting discouraged, not losing faith, not living life joyfully. Men are that they might have joy. It means to face life with confidence. The gospel of Jesus Christ gives us the strength and the eternal perspective to face what is coming with good cheer. We must, however, not underestimate the difficulties that are prophesied for our day. What are some of these difficulties? How can we face them? Some of these difficulties are lack of hope, lack of love, and lack of peace. The prophet Moroni thought, if you have no hope, you must be in despair. And despair comes because of iniquity. For many, the coming years may be years of despair. The greater the iniquity, the greater the despair will be. The Savior said, Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. As iniquity increases, true love disappears. As a result, fear, insecurity, and despair grow. To the prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord said, I will that all men shall know that the day speedily come when peace shall be taken from the earth, and the devil shall have power over his dominion, and also the Lord shall have power over his sands, and shall reign in their midst. We live in a time when peace has been taken from the earth. On the other hand, we live in a glorious time, a time when the Lord restored his priesthood. The true gospel has been restored. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint is the kingdom of God on earth. We are helping to prepare the earth for the time when the Lord Jesus Christ will come and personally reign. Why must we pass through trials in this life? The Lord makes no secret that He will test our faith and our obedience. We will prove then herewith, He said, to see if they will do all things whatsoever the Lord their God shall command them. We learn from the book of Ecclesiastes, all things come alike to all. There is an event to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the clean and to the unclean. As is the good, so is the sinner. There is one event unto all. Tempests may occur in the life of the man who builds his life upon the rock of the gospel, as well as upon the foolish 
who builds his life upon the things of this world. How should we react to these trials? The Lord has said, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. Each day we must take up our cross and press forward and not just linger on the sidelines of our eternal journey. How can we know whether we are being tried or where the Lord is punishing us? Trials are opportunities for our growth. The Lord has said, My people must be tried in all things, that they may be prepared to receive the glory that I have for them, even the glory of Zion. And he that will not bear chastisement is not worthy of my kingdom. When we are being tried, we should ponder and ask, What does the Lord want me to do in this situation? The Lord spoke discomforting words to the prophet Joseph Smith. Know thou, my son, that all these things shall give thee experience and shall be for thy good. The Son of Man had descended below them all. Art thou greater than he? We need to view each trial as an opportunity for growth. Someday we will understand their why. The Lord has said, Whom I love, I also chasten, that their sins may be forgiven. For with the chastisement, I prepare a way for their deliverance. The Lord loves each one of us. He wants us to be happy. This happiness comes by our faith in Jesus Christ, by our sincere and true repentance, by our obedience to His commandments, and by our endurance to the end. Sometimes we might think that the Lord does not hear or answer our prayers. At such times, we need to stop and ponder what we have done throughout our lives. If necessary, we must put our lives in harmony with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through the prophet Joseph Smith, the Lord revealed, I, the Lord, have suffered the affliction to come upon them, wherewith they have been afflicted in consequence of their transgressions. They were slow to hearken to the voice of the Lord their God. Therefore, the Lord their God is slow to hearken to their prayer, to answer them in the day of their trouble. In the day of their peace, they esteem lightly my counsel, but in the day of their trouble, of necessity, they feel after me. When we have the sincere desire to put our lives in harmony with the you of the world, he will always be ready to help ease our burdens. What destroy our good cheer and our hope? Jesus Christ told the twelve apostles some of the things that can destroy our hope and make us give up. Allowing ourselves to fall into temptation, not resisting affliction and tribulation, not enduring persecution, fearing the cares of the world, seeking wealth first, giving up instead of enduring to the end, and allowing false prophets to deceive us. What gives us courage and hope? The Lord's invitation to each of us is, Come unto me, all you that labor 
and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus Christ has the power to give us rest from our pain and suffering. The Prophet Mormon taught, Wherefore, if a man have faith, he must needs have hope. For without faith there cannot be any hope. And if a man be meek and lowly in heart, and confesses by the power of the Holy Ghost that Jesus is the Christ, he must needs have charity. If we daily exercise faith, meekness, charity, and loneliness in heart, confessing that Jesus is the Christ and accepting his atonement, we will be blessed with the strength and hope to face and overcome the trials and the pains of this life. What are some of the Lord's promises to each one of us? Be of good cheer, little children, for I am in your midst, and I have not forsaken you. Be of good cheer, for I will lead you along. The kingdom is yours, and the blessings thereof are yours, and the riches of eternity are yours. Quoting the words of the prophet Eter, Wherefore, whoso believe in God, might with surety hope for a better world, yea, even a place at the right hand of God, which hope comes of faith, and that faith make an anchor to the souls of men. God is our Father. We are His children. He loves us. He desires our happiness here in this life and for all eternity. We are led by a true prophet of God today. Jesus is the Christ. Through him, we can find peace in this world. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Responding to the question, Master, which is the great commandment in the law, Jesus answered, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and the great commandment, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. To ancient Israel and down through the generations of time, his prophets, past and present, have always taught this all-encompassing eternal truth, that to inherit eternal life we must have love in our souls love for God, our eternal Father, and love for our fellow man. In his closing hours of his earthly ministry, Jesus said to Peter, And I have prayed for thee, that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. Peter had a testimony, born of the spirit of the divinity of Jesus Christ. Peter knew, and his knowledge came by revelation, but his conversion the change in his whole way of life and the nature of his very being was more evident after the day of Pentecost, after receiving the heart-changing gift and witness of the Holy Ghost. Yes, brothers and sisters, like Peter before, we have testimonies. But is conversion a continuing process in your life? Isn't each of us a work in progress in the hands of our Maker? Is God blessing others through you? Do you pray and ask whom the Lord would have you bless to lift another's burden? 
Do you love others as much as you love yourself? When Jesus told the lawyer that in order to inherit eternal life, he must love his neighbor as himself, the lawyer said unto Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus responded with his parable of the Good Samaritan and then asked, Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that shewed mercy on him. With this parable, Jesus taught that each of us should exhibit an act of love and benevolence towards every one of his father's children. King Benjamin taught the saints of his day, For the sake of retaining a remission of your sins from day to day, I would that ye should impart of your substance to the poor, such as feeding the hungry, visiting the sick, and administering to their relief, both spiritually and temporally. Do you administer spiritual or temporal relief to those that need it? Do you reach out and strengthen the faith of those coming into the fold, as asked by the prophets of our day? Conversion means consecrating your life to caring for and serving others who need your help and sharing your gifts and blessings. The Lord didn't say, Tend my sheep when it's convenient. Watch my sheep when you aren't busy. He said, Feed my sheep and my lambs. Help them survive this world. Keep them close to you. Lead them to safety, the safety of righteous choices that will prepare them for eternal life. Every unselfish act of kindness and service increases your spirituality. God would use you to bless others. Your continued spiritual growth and eternal progress is very much wrapped up in your relationships, in how you treat others. Do you indeed love others and become a blessing in their lives? Isn't the measure of the level of your conversion how you treat others? The person who does only those things in the church that concern himself alone will never reach the goal of perfection. Service to others is what the gospel and exalted life is all about. In your journey through life, you are to reach out and bless the lives of your fellow travelers, to give of yourself to those that need you. For whosoever will, will save his life, the Master said, shall lose it. But whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. James directed his epistle to future Israel, to the twelve tribes that are scattered abroad. His teachings are directed to us, the Lord's people, who in the latter day would accept the restored gospel. He teaches principles that should guide your relationships with other members of the Church. He considers the commandment to love thy neighbor as thyself to be the royal law. To James, a testimony alone is not enough. The gospel has to become a living reality in your life. I will shew thee my faith by my works. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. James' definition of the converted is this. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this. To visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. He ends his brief epistle to us with these words. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his ways shall save a soul and shall hide a multitude of sins. 
By reclaiming an errant brother, you save both him and yourself. Your sins are hidden or remitted because you ministered for the salvation of another. Mine has been the great blessing of living my life in Latin America and witnessing firsthand the unfolding of the prophecies and promises made by the prophets and the Lord himself. I shall gather in from thy long dispersion my people, O house of Israel, and shall establish again among them my Zion. I will establish my church among them, and they shall come in unto the covenant and be numbered among this remnant of Jacob, unto whom I have given this land for their inheritance. Literally hundreds of thousands have been gathered in from practically every nation in Latin America. Prophecies assure us that this growth will continue. Growth is our greatest challenge, but also our greatest opportunity for each of us. The Apostle Paul said to the new members in his day, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. It seems that when members have experienced rapid growth, the Church has experienced rapid growth, too many are still made to feel that they are strangers and foreigners and have been left by the wayside. If we are to see the promises fulfilled, we must do as Moroni described. And after they had been received unto baptism, they were numbered among the people of the Church of Christ, and their names were taken that they might be remembered and nourished to keep them in the right way. Many active members believe that the less active members and new converts that fall by the wayside behave differently because they don't believe the Church's doctrine. Studies made do not support this assumption. They show that almost all less active members interviewed believe that God exists, that Jesus is the Christ, that Joseph Smith was a prophet, and that the Church is true. In numerous wards and branches, there are many good, upright, honest men and women who just don't know how to come back to Church. There are good mothers and fathers among them. They have just left, and no one has come to check up on them, leaving them with the idea that no one really cares. When men or women of faith visit these individuals and become their friends, strengthen them, pray with them, and teach them the gospel, they and their families will come back. Inasmuch as you have done it unto one of least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Who are the least of these my brethren? Might the Lord be referring to the newest coming into the fold? Are those that have wandered into the shadows of inactivity and would return if extended the hand of true fellowship? In this great battle for the souls of men, the rules of engagement in missionary work are more clearly defined for each of us. Members are to accompany full-time missionary companionships as they teach the lessons and play a vital role in the conversion process of others. Missionaries are to preach the gospel by the Spirit with words from their own hearts, words of truth treasured up by much study and prayer. Our missionaries' role in the continuing conversion process of others doesn't end at baptism. They are to continue to teach new members and others that need spiritual nourishment. Recent letters from the First Presidency remind priesthood leaders of their responsibility to strengthen and support new members. Fellowship should be extended by all in the ward. Home teachers and visiting teachers can play a valuable role. New members should be given opportunities to serve 
and contribute to the strength of the ward. Brothers and sisters, if the conversion and transformation process is to continue in each of us, new members and old alike, we must love, serve, and give spiritual nourishment to others. We must help others receive the full blessings of the Restoration, including the blessings of the Temple. The Prophet Joseph Smith wrote a letter to the Saints in his day. Dear brethren, it is a duty which every Saint ought to render to his brethren freely, to always love them and give them succor. To be justified before God, we must love one another. We can love our neighbor as ourselves and be faithful in tribulation. Our own prophet, President Gordon B. Hinckley, has said, I would hope, I would pray, that each of us would resolve to seek those who need help and lift them in the spirit of love into the embrace of the Church, where strong hands and loving hearts will warm them, comfort them, sustain them, and put them on the path of happy and productive lives. Love is not just a word or a declaration but the first and the great commandment, a commandment that demands action. If you love me, keep my commandments, and if you love me, feed my sheep. You must do what our Savior and his prophets, both past and present, have always taught. Serve, strengthen the faith, and nurture those that need your love and blessing. You have the Lord's promise, and whosoever receiveth you, there I will be also, for I will go before your face, and my spirit shall be in your hearts. Brothers and sisters, as you reach out in love to bless the life of another, both will be blessed with his spirit. The Lord teaches that both will understand one another, and both will be edified and rejoice together. It is my prayer that our Heavenly Father will bless each of you, each of us, with that love for others which He hath bestowed upon all who are true followers of His Son. I bear witness that His Son, Jesus Christ, lives and that His gospel is a gospel of love. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Last summer, Sister Oaks and I returned from two years in the Philippines. We loved our service there, and we loved returning home. When we've been away, we see our surroundings in a new light, with increased appreciation and sometimes with new concerns. We were concerned to see the inroads pornography had made in the United States while we were away. For many years, our Church leaders have warned against the danger of images and words intended to arouse sexual desires. Now the corrupting influence of pornography, produced and disseminated for commercial gain, is sweeping over our society like an avalanche of evil. At our last conference, President Hinckley devoted an entire talk to this subject warning in the plainest terms that, quote, this is a very serious problem 
even among us, end of quote. Most of the bishops we meet in state conferences now report major concerns with this problem. My fellow holders of the Melchizedek Priesthood, and also our young men, I wish to speak to you today about pornography. I know that many of you are exposed to this and that many of you are being stained by it. In concentrating my talk on this subject, I feel like the prophet Jacob, who told the men of his day that it grieved him to speak so boldly in front of their sensitive wives and children. But notwithstanding the difficulty of the task, he said he had to speak to the men about this subject because God had commanded him. I do so for the same reason. In the second chapter of the book that bears his name, Jacob condemns men for their whoredoms. He told them they had broken the hearts of their tender wives and lost the confidence of their children because of their bad examples before them. What were these grossly wicked whoredoms? No doubt some men were already guilty of evil acts. But the main focus of Jacob's great sermon was not with evil acts completed, but with evil acts contemplated. Jacob began his sermon by telling the men that as yet they had been obedient unto the word of the Lord. However, he then told them he knew their thoughts, that they were beginning to labor in sin, which sin appeareth very abominable unto God. I must testify unto you concerning the wickedness of your hearts, he added. Jacob was speaking as Jesus spoke when he said, Whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. More than 30 years ago, I urged BYU students to avoid the promotional literature of illicit sexual relations in what they read and view. I gave this analogy, quote, Pornographic or erotic stories and pictures are worse than filthy or polluted food. The body has defenses to rid itself of unwholesome food. With a few fatal exceptions, bad food will only make you sick but do no permanent harm. In contrast, a person who feasts upon filthy stories or pornographic or erotic pictures and literature records them in this marvelous retrieval system we call a brain. The brain won't vomit back filth. Once recorded, it will always remain subject to recall, flashing its perverted images across your mind and drawing you away from the wholesome things in life." End of quote. Here, brethren, I must tell you that our bishops and our professional counselors are seeing an increasing number of men involved with pornography, and many are active members. Some involved in pornography apparently minimize its seriousness and continue to exercise the priesthood of God because they think no one will know of their involvement. But the user knows, brethren, 
and so does the Lord. Some have suggested that pornography should be a separate question in the Temple Recommend interview. It is already. At least five different questions should elicit a confession and discussion on this subject if the person being interviewed has the spiritual sensitivity and honesty we expect of those who worship in the house of the Lord. One of the Savior's most memorable teachings applies to men who are secretly viewing pornography. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. The Savior continues his denunciation of those who treat what is visible but neglect to cleanse the inner man. Ye are likened to whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. The immediate spiritual consequences of such hypocrisy are devastating. Those who seek out and use pornography forfeit the power of their priesthood. The Lord declares, When we undertake to cover our sins, behold, the heavens withdraw themselves. The Spirit of the Lord is grieved, and when it is withdrawn, amen to the priesthood or the authority of that man. Patrons of pornography also lose the companionship of the Spirit. Pornography produces fantasies that destroy spirituality. To be carnally minded is death, spiritual death. The scriptures repeatedly teach that the Spirit of the Lord will not dwell in an unclean tabernacle. When we worthily partake of the sacrament, we are promised that we will always have His Spirit to be with us. To qualify for that promise, we covenant that we will always remember Him. Those who seek out and use pornography for sexual stimulation obviously violate that covenant. They also violate a sacred covenant to refrain from unholy and impure practices. They cannot have the Spirit of the Lord to be with them. All such need to heed the Apostle Peter's plea. Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. Brethren, you have noticed that I am not discussing the effects of pornography on mental health or criminal behavior. I am discussing its effects on spirituality, our ability to have the companionship of the Spirit of the Lord and our capacity to exercise the power of the priesthood. Pornography also inflicts mortal wounds on our most precious personal relationships. In his talk to men of the priesthood last October, President Hinckley quoted the letter of a woman who asked him to warn Church members that pornography, quote, has the effect of damaging hearts and souls to their very depths 
strangling the life out of relationships, end of quote. At a recent state conference, a woman handed me a similar letter. Her husband had also served in important church callings for many years while addicted to pornography. She told of great difficulty in getting priesthood leaders to take this problem of pornography seriously. I quote, I got all kinds of responses like I was overreacting or it was my fault. The bishop we have now has been great. And now, after 15 years, my husband is trying to deal with his addiction. But now it is 15 years harder to quit for him, and the loss has been incalculable." End of quote. Pornography impairs one's ability to enjoy a normal, emotional, romantic, and spiritual relationship with a person of the opposite sex. It erodes the moral barriers that stand against inappropriate, abnormal, or illegal behavior. As conscience is desensitized, patrons of pornography are led to act out what they have witnessed, regardless of its effects on their life and the lives of others. Pornography is also addictive. It impairs decision-making capacities and it hooks its users, drawing them back obsessively for more and more. A man who had been addicted to pornography and to hard drugs wrote me this comparison. Quote, In my eyes, cocaine doesn't hold a candle to this. I have done both. Quitting even the hardest drugs was nothing compared to trying to quit pornography. End of quote. Some seek to justify their indulgence by arguing that they are only viewing soft and not hard porn. A wise bishop called this refusing to see evil as evil. He quoted men seeking to justify their viewing choices by comparisons such as not as bad as or only one bad scene. But the test of what is evil is not its degree but its effect. When persons entertain evil thoughts long enough for the spirit to withdraw, they lose their spiritual protection and they are subject to the power and direction of the evil one. When they use internet or other pornography for what this bishop described as arousal on demand, they are deeply soiled by sin. King Benjamin's great sermon describes the terrible consequences. When we withdraw from the Spirit of the Lord, we become an enemy to righteousness. We have a lively sense of our guilt, and we shrink from the presence of the Lord. Mercy hath no claim on that man, he concluded. Therefore, his final doom is to endure a never-ending torment. Consider the tragic example of King David. Though a spiritual giant in Israel, he allowed himself to look upon something he should not have viewed. Tempted by what he saw, he violated two of the Ten Commandments, beginning with, Thou shalt not commit adultery. In this way, a prophet king fell from his exaltation. 
But the good news is that no one needs to follow the evil downward descent to torment. Everyone caught on that terrible escalator has the key to reverse his course. He can escape. Through repentance he can be clean. Alma the Younger described it. Yea, I did remember all my sins and iniquities for which I was tormented with the pains of hell. The very thought of coming into the presence of my God did rack my soul with inexpressible horror. And it came to pass that as I was thus racked with torment, while I was harrowed up by the memory of my many sins, behold, I remembered also to have heard my father prophesy unto the people concerning the coming of one Jesus Christ, a Son of God, to atone for the sins of the world. Now as my mind caught hold upon this thought, I cried within my heart, O Jesus, thou Son of God, have mercy on me, who am in the gall of bitterness and am encircled about by the everlasting chains of death. And now behold, when I thought this, I could remember my pains no more. Yea, I was harrowed up by the memory of my sins no more. And oh, what joy and what marvelous light I did behold! Yea, my soul was filled with joy as exceeding as was my pain. My brethren who are caught in this addiction or troubled by this temptation, there is a way. First, acknowledge the evil. Don't defend it or try to justify yourself. For at least a quarter century, our leaders have pleaded with men and also with women and children to avoid this evil. Our current church magazines are full of warnings, information, and helps on this subject. More than a score of articles published or to be, to be published this year and last year alone. Second, seek the help of the Lord and His servants. Hear and heed President Hinckley's words. Quote, Plead with the Lord out of the depths of your soul that He will remove from you the addiction which enslaves you. And may you have the courage to seek the loving guidance of your bishop and, if necessary, the counsel of caring professionals." End of quote. Third, do all that you can to avoid pornography. If you ever find yourself in its presence, which can happen to anyone in the world in which we live, follow the example of Joseph of Egypt. When temptation caught him in her grip, he left temptation and got him out. Don't accommodate any degree of temptation. Prevent sin and avoid having to deal with its inevitable destruction. So turn it off. Look away. Avoid it at all costs. Direct your thoughts in wholesome paths. Remember your covenants and be faithful in temple attendance. The wise bishop I quoted earlier reported that, quote, an endowed priesthood bearers fall into pornography never occurs during periods of regular worship in the temple. It happens when he has become casual in his temple worship." End of quote. We must also act to protect those we love. Parents install alarms to warn if their household is threatened by smoke or carbon monoxide. We should also install protections against spiritual threats, protections like filters on Internet connections and locating access so others can see what is being viewed. 
And we should build the spiritual strength of our families by loving relationships, family prayer, and scripture study. Finally, do not patronize pornography. Do not use your purchasing power to support moral degradation. And young women, please understand that if you dress immodestly, you are magnifying this problem by becoming pornography to some of the men who see you. Please heed these warnings. Let us all improve our personal behavior and redouble our efforts to protect our loved ones and our environment from the onslaught of pornography that threatens our spirituality, our marriages, and our children. I testify that this is what we should do to enjoy the blessings of Him whom we worship. I testify of Jesus Christ, the light and life of the world, whose Church this is. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.